I'm Kyle Russell. And I'm Cameron Regal. And Mario Kart Super Circuit, Cameron, came out on NSO, Nintendo Switch Online, February of this year. And I had the realization when they announced it and, and when it launched that, you know, despite it being the second Mario Kart game featuring Rare's version of Donkey Kong, we've actually never done a Spotlight episode on Super Circuit. We just didn't bother for its 20th anniversary back in 2021, and that's not because of a distaste for the game or a disinterest. We just couldn't be bothered. I... Super Circuit still looms fairly large in DKU fandom, I would say, at least from my perspective. It's one that I think about quite a bit, or at least I think about some of the tracks in it quite a bit. But I think it's an easy title to, I don't know, casually dismiss, I guess, even unconsciously casually dismiss. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird one because like it, Super Circuit is a very significant game for me, but I also realize, I mean, a lot of the games we come back to to discuss on the conversation and the Kivine in general are, um, well, we return to them because we might not get new games in that series anytime soon, and Super Circuit is another Mario Kart game as much as I love it. Right. And you don't really have much cause to really revisit individual Mario Kart games on in general. I mean, we do occasionally with, like, we've revisited Double Dash in 64, but it, there's not really a a, like, well, we were reminiscing about this because it was the last, th- last of these games we ever got. Yeah, it, it's kind of this weird half-compromise between the original Super Mario Kart from 1993 and Mario Kart 64. And it doesn't do anything egregiously wrong, but I also would say it doesn't really do anything above and beyond to make it really stand out from all the subsequent Mario Kart games we have gotten in the last 22 years. It's just sort of there in the history. It's not a lightning rod for controversy, 
I, I guess that's a good way to to put it. It's like it's among like in terms of like my personal like rankings of Mario Kart games, it's not like toward the bottom, but it's on a handheld on the GBA, so it can't be at the top just because of that. Right. Really, and everything that comes with it, it's but I don't have like I'm not kept it up at night with nightmares like I was with Mario Kart Wii, so <laughs> it's it's also a funny thing, like we're comparing it to other Mario Karts, but it was also the first DKU game on the Game Boy Advance, a handheld that would become, I would say, the rock for the DKU during the aughts, right? Like, it was the GBA that really kept everything afloat. And you had such a wide diversity of titles to choose from that it's easy for Super Circuit to kind of get lost in the GBA library for a Donkey Kong Universe fan let alone Mario Kart. So I thought, you know, it would be nice before we hit the traditional E3 season. I know E3 is dead, but it's still the traditional E3 season. And with that comes the possibility of game announcements. Spectre is hanging over us, teaching us how to uh, swing on pegs and (laughs) giving us uh, tips for golden bananas. Right. It's, uh, It's still coming into the season where we expect there to be game announcements, especially for quarter four, 2023. So we're kind of getting into the all hands on deck mode here at DK Vine. And I wanted to get the spotlight episode for Super Circuit done before we not, not just even hit the potential for news and announcements. Who knows what we're going to be getting this summer, but also just all of the game anniversaries we have coming up that we also want to pay due to and just a lot on our plate a lot on our schedule so i wanted to get this one out of the way and to properly pay the tribute and respect super circuit does deserve and normally i don't like to do due diligence for our other wares and products in the dk vine media empire on spotlight episodes but because this is our first episode in june i wanted to really quickly give a plug to our merchandise store because right now at dkvine.com forward slash merchandise we have three new pride shirts in our shop and we're not actually taking any profits from these we will be donating all of our normal proceeds garnered from these shirts to the trevor project and we will be donating that year round so these shirts aren't just in there for the month of june they will be up there perpetually and we will continue to donate all of our proceeds from these to the trevor project no matter what month or what year it is So you can go to dkvi.com forward slash merchandise or just pull up our store on TeePublic and you can find our three new Pride shirts, including the DK Vine logo in Pride colors, the Don't Know, Don't Ask shirt, and the Play It Proud shirt, which I think is the far and away favorite of the three. 
And uh, yeah, I think just, it's my favorite design we've done today, <laughs> right? Which is just it's just the old uh, Nintendo of America play it loud design. Uh, we we didn't really do anything fancy with it, but good job on finding that font, Cameron. And it, it was Jeff's idea to do the shirt, and we were just like, "Yeah, that's brilliant. We have to do it." And uh, people seem to love it. So yeah, and again, if if you buy the shirt, we will donate all of our proceeds to the Trevor Project, which is a really great organization that gives a helping hand, uh, lends an ear to LGBTQIA plus youth and gives them the support they might not have in their normal day-to-day life. So check it out. And as I already alluded to, we've got uh, not E3 coming up. We're not going to be going like all out for not E3 this year because the further away we get from the concept of E3, the sadder and more disconnected that feels. But we are going to be kicking off our second Stinky Ape Summer with uh, not E3 week, I guess, starting with the Xbox Bethesda presentation on June 11th. It'll be Stinky Ape Summer number two, PU. We're going to have a lot of fun events, a lot of special conversation episodes, and other surprises Throughout the summer months or the winter months, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, we hope you will keep us in your plans, whether that be traveling or just keeping cool at home. Hope you keep DK Vine at the ready for, even if we don't get any news this summer, and I, I hope we do, but even if we don't get any news this summer, I, we're still going to have a fun time. We're still going to celebrate the games we love as we always do here at DK Vine. So get ready, because Stinky Ape Summer is upon us. All right, Cameron. Mario Kart Super Circuit was released in July 2001 in Japan, and it followed shortly thereafter in the Americas in August 2001, September 2001 in Australia, and then a week after that in Europe. And I got this game around launch. It was August, I believe, 2001. It was before I went back to school, for sure. And I, I got this game along with my Game Boy Advance. So I was an early adopter for the GBA, which seems weird nowadays, where I very rarely get a new system anywhere close to when it comes out, mostly because you just can't find them. Yeah, Um I I distinctly remember being a kid and just how hard it was to get a GBA because I wanted one as soon as it came out. But um, uh, fortunately, um, they released the Fuchsia colored Game Boy Advance, um, which, um, for those who weren't there at the time, is a very like a like a kind of a warm pink, um, clear plastic, um, and. Because early 2000s toxic masculinity, it tended to be the only one left on the shelves. <laughs> and if you were a kid who did not care, that was great because it meant you got a Game Boy Advance. <laughs> right. Yep. The way my brain works, I, I associate this game very strongly with two things. Just 
two things that have nothing to do with the game. But I always think about Mario Kart Super Circuit whenever I hear the Cat Stevens song, Moonshadow. Because the very first time I heard Moonshadow was being driven home from the store with the GBA and Super Circuit boxes in my hand. And this Cat Stevens Moonshadow came on the radio and I was like, what is this? And and so the two are always linked, intertwined in my head. I also associate Super Circuit with uh, 9-11 for, for obvious reasons, because it came out right around the time of 9-11, and it was just the game we were playing then. And it just, yeah, for better or for worse, and probably for worse, I associate it with that really uh, traumatic time period. But I guess it <laughs> provided comfort, so, you know. Yeah, this was I have a I have an interesting relationship with Mario Kart Super Circuit which was um if you can believe it or if you can believe it Hyle, this was at one point like my most anticipated like DKU game ever I I think. Really? Yeah, um to to put this kind of in the context of the time um this this was still very early on in the GBA's life and also like hot off of its early promotion where Nintendo was kind of and as you would when you're marketing a new system obviously the potential was there to start porting the Super Nintendo library to this thing and get new Super Nintendo style games but a massive push I think was kind of in showing off uh like pu- pushing the envelope of what the system to do kind of marketing it as we 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 aren't just going to deliver Super Nintendo style experiences we're going to deliver N64 style experiences in the palm of your hand and this is how like this this was this is how you saw um previews of Grunty's Revenge um like we're doing the same thing um there was a early demo of uh, Yoshi's story that never amounted to an actual game. Like it was just a a technical demo, but Mm -hmm. it had like the rotating 3d Yoshi's Island and um, carried over the pre-rendered sprites from the N64 game. Um, Just sort of, I kind of, kind of doing the same like magic that, that DKC did for the super Nintendo Mm -hmm. of a, Try this uh this tiny dim little tinny thing puffing out its chest, or or even Donkey Kong Land on the original GB, where it was just like you shouldn't be able to do that. That's ridiculous. Why you know? But yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the GBA was was such a little powerhouse, right? I think it's easy to forget, especially when Nintendo married a lot of its like early releases to you know remakes of nes games and and what have you um and i realize like some people who may may not have been around at the time will like raise an eyebrow at calling the gba a, a powerhouse it it can't be understated just how long the game boy f- uh, the original game boy family was around yeah at this time, we were like kind of. I think everybody was kind of grasping at straws for something even a little bit more powerful than the Game Boy Color. Yeah, yeah, the, the Game Boy Color too. Like a lot of people didn't realize when the Game Boy Color launched that it was just effectively the original Game Boy with color added to it. Like 
we we were hoping for that next step forward. But that super letterboxed screen. The the GBA was this revelation when it came out. And it also was what I really think helped like break through because the Game Boy was always viewed as like a kid's toy, right? But the GBA was really what got it handheld gaming in the hands of adults and, and i like they really did increase their market share just by having this attractive especially when when they went to the um sp the little clamshell model that was when it was just oh my god like this is a sophisticated uh entertainment device for traveling adults who you know might be on an airplane and and need a way to pass the time and just the the enormity of the library it, it but don't aren't conscious enough of the people around them to wear headphones <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> um uh, aside from that easy punching bag aspect of the game boy advance sp i think it is like my favorite like a Nintendo device design. Yeah. It's just very sleek. Um, I love the clamshell as somebody who would always obsess whenever a scratch got on his Game Boy screen. Sure. It's just a very appealing looking device. And I mean, that backlight was a godsend back then. Again, it was what I said about the Game Boy family existing for so long that we were ready for the next step up. This was... <laughs> So many years at this point of childhood eye strain or trying to hold the screen up to the sun or a lamp in a specific way that you didn't get glare, but you could see what you were doing. People have no idea how rough it was for a long, long time. Uh, even you know, even with the launch of this game, with, with the GBA, we didn't have the backlight, like the built-in backlight, until the SP a couple years later. Yeah, I, I say this not to like go full cranky Kong mode, but just to like adequately contextualize. I think how big a deal this game is when that might be lost to time. That mm. that context. Yeah, yeah, and. and- Look, the possibility, just this, the sheer notion, the idea of a Game Boy iteration for Mario Kart, um, that that was always just so tantalizing. So like, oh, could you imagine a Mario Kart on the Game Boy? But the standard line of thinking was that it just would not be feasible on an original Game Boy, obviously, and, and the Game Boy Color. But I remember, you know, in 1997, when Mario Kart 64 launched here in the Americas, just thinking, oh, like, what would they be able to do Mario Kart on the Game Boy? And I did have one vivid dream, I recall, of Donkey Kong driving around this, like, 2D Mario Kart track on a Game Boy Color version of mario kart just had this dream about it and and i woke up and i was like oh that would be cool it's a shame they will probably never do that and of course then the gba really made it possible or or at least uh, more feasible i'm sure you could do it but it would probably be very very janky on a game boy color you could certainly do a facsimile of it because the game that immediately came to mind that i owned uh that came out about a year prior to Super Circuit was a uh, a very impressive wacky races game on Game Boy Color, mm. which had a very um, 
very um impressive into the camera like perspective like you would expect from Arika. It's a it's a bit pared down yeah. still, like but uh, I, I think it is one of the most impressive looking games on the Game Boy Color. I recommend people look it up if they haven't seen it before. But yeah, there was definitely like this was a felt like a next big step up and you know, even as a kid, I wasn't so naive as to not realize this was like a Mode 7 style effect. I wasn't getting... The, uh, the Banjo Pilot bo- voxel build this ain't, but... Right. At this point, like, I'm seeing, like, blurry magazine screenshots, and I'm just... Oh, this is a facsimile of Mario Kart 64 on a handheld, and... One, I love that, but also... It's you know, 2000 or, or 2001. And I have not, there have only been two Mario Kart games at this point. So even then just the prospect of another Mario Kart in and of itself was exciting. Right. Yeah. Because up until this point, Mario Kart was this precious commodity, right? We'd only had Super Mario Kart and then Mario Kart 64 and Mario Kart 64, I I would argue is where it really, kind of broke open and, and really became this like very like hot thing. Like Super Mario Kart was popular, obviously, but Mario Kart 64 was like this must have um, game. If you had an N64, especially early on, it's like, Oh yeah. Mario Kart 64. You have Mario Kart 64. It was golden eye before golden eye. It's it. I think it is the, the like nexus point that leads us to today where, Nintendo can coast on Mario Kart 8 forever because it will not stop selling. Right, right. And, you know, Mario Kart Super Circuit was important in this evolution for Mario Karts for a few reasons. But one is that it's the first time a studio uh, outside of EAD or its uh, evolution, EPD, would develop it... um, because, you know, up until this point, it had always been handled by, uh, like, Miyamoto's team. And this was Intelligent Systems who got a crack at Mario Kart. It's really interesting. This was their first and last crack at Mario Kart. And uh, owing to that, it has, like, some very unique sensibilities to it bleeding through. Mm-hmm. I mean, in as much as you can in a Mario Kart game that's reusing uh, pre-rendered characters from Mario Kart 64, but um, this was developed in close proximity, or at least released in fairly close proximity, because Paper Mario had a very um, extensive development cycle, but um, pa- Paper Mario and Super Circuit were um, pretty pretty close releases to each other, both from Intelligent Systems and uh, it shows there is a lot of bleed over between um, Super Circuit and the first Paper Mario. Yeah, yeah. Some of it is um, like in your face, but but it's funny because you know you seldom get that level of, I guess, acknowledgement. Of Paper Mario in a more mainline Mario game nowadays. I mean, you do, but. They, they've yeah, kind of kept them they, like they almost like view it as a separate reality now, you know, where, whereas here it was just like, oh, no, that's Mario. And, and here's 
this aspect from the game because it's the same universe. Yeah, I think they, they've d- definitely drifted Paper Mario into more of its own thing over time. But yeah, definitely in this era, it was it was just another Mario game. And um, not just the very blatant, um, this is a thing from Paper Mario showing up in a Mario Kart game, but just the general sensibility and and uh, approach to Mario's world. I feel like a very like a shared sense of this vision of what Mario is and having fun with it between both Paper Mario and this game. Yeah, this game did really, I think, embrace the sort of sort of silly side of of Mario's world, the Mushroom Kingdom, whatever. Uh, because yes, yeah, some of the tracks are just like really far out there in a way that Mario Kart doesn't get that often. And and even when later Mario Kart games would take some of the tracks from this game, they would kind of make them more normal. They would kind of like sand off the the crazy edges and you're like, "Oh, well now they're not as fun." Yeah, I I think like especially core to my like my understanding of this game's identity is the little um vignettes it has on the track selection yeah which are often these very fun images of mario characters um doing something silly or in horrible distress yeah um it's and that's that's always charming to me when you feel like you have caught a Mario character in a candid moment. It's the same thing that I love in the like the illustrated concept art that's been circulated for the Mario movie. Would love to see actual like quality versions of these that aren't just shrunk down. You know, I I, w- I would love to see if they had any like h- more higher quality pieces yeah i I would love to know if these were done like pixel by pixel or shrunken down from like digital paintings because even though they're meant to have parody with the the pre-rendered um again carried over assets from um, mario kart 64 they they're so expressive and situational that they would have had to have been done by hand the ones that i that sticks out in my mind is uh and I, i mean all of a lot of them really do, um, is the one for um, Lakeside Park, which just has molten falling rock hitting Wario in the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and just the, the, the like, understanding that Mario is a cartoon universe, but the, just the ghastliness of the, the concept of that image. Right. I think right. Donkey Kong is also on fire in the background of that. <laughs> Yeah, he's like his fur has been ignited and he's like screaming. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've like tried to blow these up as much as I can, you know, in Photoshop and you can only get so many details, but it you don't appreciate how great they are until you kind of isolate them from the game and and kind of expand them to uh a larger size, if not quality, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, they, they really put a lot of thought in the staging of the characters here. Like, e- each one is just bustling with personality, and it's that level of effort you rarely see in things like the icons for tracks in a racing game, just above and beyond. It, like, 
almost every single one. Well, going back to the pre-release history of the game. Now, for much of its development life, it was simply known as Mario Kart Advance, which it retained that name in Japan. Uh, but to this... I was so looking forward to this game that I remember, like, browsing eBay auctions for Mario Kart Advance. Yeah. Debating on whether or not to import it. And then... I think about how long the wait felt for to, for it to come over here because, you know, worldwide releases weren't a thing. Right. And then I looked up the release dates in preparation for this episode, and uh, it was just over a month. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was so much bigger a gap in my head. The Mario Kart Advance name. I still slip up from time to time and call this game Mario Kart Advance because that's what we knew it for the bulk of, you know, its pre-release life. And that's what we called it on DK Vine. We had a page for MKA, Mario Kart Advance. So it was a very formative time. Yeah, I, I still have to wonder where Super Circuit came from. Was it just an allusion to Super Mario Kart, given I think certain... So aspects i i think so i think they wanted to kind of tip the hat that there would be these super mario kart tracks in this but it wasn't super mario kart which i think it was very confusing for a lot of people uh we'll touch upon that a little bit later but yeah i i think mario kart advance is a better name all told like if the Mario Kart games would have kept the convention of having unique names for each one after this, like we had Double Dash, which I really like as a name. It's very evocative and it really sells what the game is. And it makes sense because Double Dash is more um, off the beaten path than any Mario Kart game really before or after it. Yeah. Had they kept that up, I would be fine with Super Circuit on principle but then they just went to mario kart ds and mario kart wii and then they started numbering them yeah retroactively numbering them it's a very confusing and wildly inconsistent naming scheme so had they kept this as mario kart advance then double dash would be the only odd one out uh and i i do prefer mario kart advance i think it's a more elegant name and even advance just works as a name for anything, regardless of its status as a GBA game. Mostly, I remember the name for how often I had misspelled Super Circuit. <laughs> yeah, it is what Not it is. Not Super Circuit. Super Circuit, it, it's yeah. the It's the same thing I had to do with Mario Odyssey, where I had to remember how to spell Odyssey. At least it's not as bad as all the people who misspell Thieves for Sea of Thieves. It's just amazing how many people just transpose the... I and the E back and forth. Um, yeah, I got used to Super Circuit, but I still, like in the recesses of my brain, think of it as Mario Kart Advance. And the early screenshots from Mario Kart Advance actually showed that at one time they were going to have a different art style than the one they went with. Because they just used the models from Mario Kart 64. Obviously reduced the color palette, but they're the same character models and carts from Mario Kart 64. But originally they were going to use something a lot more deformed, almost like chibi-like versions of the characters with these big heads. 
Yeah, it's a very interesting choice. I I I would love to know like was the logic that like you would be able to like more clearly see the faces and heads of your characters on this tiny tiny screen was that the the intent? I think so. And and then you'd very clearly recognize who's in front of you just by their bulbous cranium. I I guess it also contextualizes something about the rest of Super Circuit, which is, in all honesty, the the Mario Kart 64 models are kind of a sore thumb compared to the rest of the visual assets in the game because nothing else is really as on-brand as the character models. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still very Mario, but I mean on-brand for Super Circuit. Yeah. It's kind of the only thing that feels like, oh, this is... This is from something else. Right, it's a carryover. And I love the Mario Kart 64 designs. I know people have their issues with it not being you know, comprised of polygons. Uh, you know, like, oh... But on a GBA, what does it matter? It, right, exactly. I think I think they m- look more at home here than they do with Mario Kart 64. I do like the big head versions of the characters. I think it would have been... Probably a controversial choice, just knowing the way people were in 2001, and I include myself in those people. Uh, but I think, you know, in the long haul, people would have really, like, lauded this visual presentation. Now, we've only seen extremely grainy footage of Donkey Kong from this build. Uh, it might have been Space World or something, but we, we've seen people play the GBA, like the original purple GBA uh, we, we've seen people... Just the fact that it was so hard to document any kind of pre-release game material in this era means that all we have is, like, these very, like, like Bigfoot in the woods um, archiving of everything, and it just makes it all feel that much more ethereal, like a, like a dream that's half-remembered. Yeah, and speaking of hard-to-decipher primates, the, the, <laughs> the little bit we've seen of Donkey Kong in this build, it's mostly extends to his character profile on the side of the screen where you know you you show the ranking and originally they had all eight drivers not just the like the top four they had all eight there and that afforded us the ability in this very limited like show floor build of the game to see that his profile shot in, in my head looks like you know, we've got the toothy grin versions of Donkey Kong post buyout where he's just has these enormous chompers in his mouth and he's just always, you know, showing them off like he's been afflicted by Joker toxin. But like, 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 like Wario where he like may not physically be able to close his mouth. Yes. Is kind of. Well, how he how he looks at times, depending on the depending on the game, depending on the artist. In this version of Mario Kart Advance, it looks like we've got the extremist, hideous, like end to Rare's uh, gummy grin for Donkey Kong, where he's not showing his teeth, but he still looks ghastly because he's he's got this big gaping. Like, uh, expression, like, ah, but you don't see any teeth, so he just looks, it just looks wrong. It, it looks wrong no matter how you do it, I guess, but, 
Um, yeah, he, he's, he's showing that big gaping black smile. <laughs> it looks like off model to me in the same way that like melee DK is off model. Yeah. But again, like looks like is a very, I'm emphasizing that here because I would have never deciphered that this is supposed to be Donkey Kong if you hadn't pointed it out. This <laughs> screenshot is so, so like, like I, I would be more sure looking at photos of the Loch Ness Monster than I am this. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, it reminds me a little bit of some of the I mean, 2D. It has to be Donkey Kong because it can't be anything oh, else. It's but... definitely Donkey Kong. It looks sort of like the 2D hand-drawn versions of Rare's Donkey Kong for some, like, tie-in products from around 1995. Especially in Japan, you would see, like, the, these, like, hand-drawn versions of Donkey Kong show up on things products you could buy and it kind of looks like that except his mouth is even more open uh gaping than normal which i guess again would fit with the kind of big head aesthetic they originally started with for this right right um and i think the big head aesthetic works for like the plumber characters i don't know how well it would work for donkey kong who's mostly nude except for a tie like the, the the plumbers have the big hats and you know peach would have the crown but donkey kong he's just uh, a gorilla with brown fur and a tie yeah for for i mean i can't really tell how many pixels high this giant headed mario is but i'm also thinking in terms of just game design reasons it's i wonder how much visibility was impaired by just having a giant noggin yeah, that's in true. your way because People come have complained for years about PD Piranha in Double Dash. Yeah, if you can't see the obstacles or hazards right in front of your character, then it's a problem. So I could see why they dialed this back for sure. Um, but I, I do think people would have loved this in the long run if they had stuck with this. People would say, oh, you know, my favorite Mario Kart designs were from Mario Kart Super Circuit because they were so stylized. Which one was Mario Kart Super Circuit? Oh, it was the one with the big heads. Big heads, right. Uh, you know, I only think a giant Donkey Kong head works if it's on Pierce Brosnan. Otherwise, it just looks wrong. So, Super Circuit did have a presence at that magical E3 that you and I have talked about here on The Conversation in the past. E3 2001, which of course was mere months before it came out worldwide. But a funny thing happened at E3 2001, at least for the Donkey Kong Universe fan community, uh, because this is a game like you. I know you were very hyped about this game up until launch, Cameron. And, you know, I, I was really excited for, oh, my God, a portable, a handheld Mario Kart. Finally, this is going to be so cool. And then E3 2001 revealed... Donkey Kong Racing, Diddy Kong Pilot for the GBA. And all of a sudden, Donkey Kong was going to be in two rare developed racing games, both sequels to my beloved Diddy Kong Racing and filled with both Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong Racing characters. So all of a sudden, just mere months before this game came out, all of my hype just completely dissipated. It, it just eroded like a Thanos snap. I, I was like, oh, 
I don't care about Super Circuit anymore because Diddy Kong Pilot. Oh my, yeah, Donkey Kong's going to be in Mario Kart Super Circuit, but Donkey Kong's also going to be in Diddy Kong Pilot. And that game has Diddy Kong and Dixie Kong and K. Rule in a pilot costume and what looks to be Crunch from Diddy Kong Racing and Redneck Kong. How can Super Circuit compete with that? <laughs> so, And meanwhile, I wasn't very online and still following all this through magazines. Yeah. So I like was having... The the ob- D- uh, Super Circuit just had more object permanence because it was getting promoted past E3 because, as we found out, um, Diddy Kong Pilot would take a bit more time in the oven and uh, Donkey Kong Racing would get freezer burn. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, I mentioned how Super Circuit, it, it's hard for it to stand out even with all of the GBA games we did get from a Donkey Kong Universe fan's perspective, you know, let alone anything beyond that. But we were eating so good in 2001. This is this is like when everything was just feeling so magical for Rare and the Donkey Kong Universe. We had all of these game announcements, like myriad of racing games from Rare, uh, all Donkey Kong centric, and of course, you know things like Grunty's Revenge, and we had Star Fox Adventures on the horizon, and it felt at times. This is the era where it really started to feel like these cameo games, these appearances of Donkey Kong in non-rare, non-Donkey Kong games. They felt like they were kind of just getting in the way. It's like, oh, I don't really want to care about another Mario Party when we have all of these rare games coming out. And, you know, of course, you know, hindsight being what it is and and the bounty that E3 2001 presented us turning out to mostly either being vaporware or turning into something completely different. In some cases, better versions of what we got, in some cases worse. But, you know... I think the only two like cameo franchises that were really like put on a pedestal above everything else at this time were still Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers, just because of a lack of saturation. It would be later in the GameCube era where I think DK Vine in particular would come back around on Camelot's offerings and be like, "Oh, actually, now these are really solid." And me, and honestly, even though like those things got a higher profile, like. Uh, Smash Brothers and Mario Kart are still like the the in the upper echelon of popularity by yeah. a wide margin. Yeah, and, and you know that being said, it, it was really hard for me to to care about Super Circuit after E3 2001 because it just felt like oh this game that I had been looking forward to and imagining for four years was all of a sudden just rendered moot when Rare announced all those games. And, you know, Diddy Kong Pilot in particular, because, yeah, we, we know how Banjo Pilot turned out, and it's, you know, it's the one Banjo-Kazooie game where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's pretty flawed, and, and there's a lot of questionable decisions made, which I'm sure the team would agree with, that there, the the development history of that game was just fucked from from day one and they they had a good thing going with the voxel build and yeah, then the, it's unfortunate that just knowing the voxel build existed just kind of 
taints the banjo pilot experience for reasons that are out of its control. Yeah, because they could have gone with the voxel build. They could have done it, but you couldn't get multiplayer working there. And look, multiplayer was never a deal breaker for the GBA in my experiences, in my friend's circle. No, um, like this was actually something I ran into with this episode because I I had never really had um, standout memories of playing Super Circuit or many um, pre-DS handheld Nintendo games in multiplayer because you couldn't count on interacting with another person that had a Game Boy or a Game Boy Advance and a Link Cable for reasons that weren't Pokemon related. Yeah, yeah. And this game did allow you to play with your friends, even if you only had one cartridge, but it would penalize you because you could only play, I I think, from a small curated bunch of tracks and you could only play as Yoshi's. So, so like, you, you couldn't even have access to the full game if you had one cartridge. So it, it was pretty much required, you know, to, to really... And again, this was in the grasping at straws era of, oh, I can get anything out of single cart link cable <laughs> yeah. multiplayer? Yeah, yeah. Sign me the fuck up. Dif- different world, you know, we, we took the scraps we were given. But, yeah, you know, this is a weird game for me. For all the reasons I just stated, it was more of a slow burner, especially once I realized that the promise, the initial promise of E3 2001 wasn't going to be fulfilled in the way that I thought it was. And then it allowed me to kind of reassess this game and and appreciate what we got versus you know, the tantalizing hype of what we thought was to come. So this isn't something that I was just immediately head over heels with. I liked this game quite a bit when it came out, and I did get it near launch, but it was always just in the shadow of of all of Rare's released or announced titles from that E3. So just unfortunate timing how everything shook out. Yeah, it was... This... In addition to being just this weird, uh, having being in this weird environment of the buyout is looming and we don't know it yet, uh, Super Circuit kind of ended up being just in in the timing of its release. This this last hurrah for like the N sixty four identity of Mario and Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. Um, like this is the last game with. With um, Rare's pre-rendered DK, it's the, I think the last game with the Mario, um, like the the standardized 64 look of the Mario cast. Um, Yeah. I think it's the last Mario Kart game where like Peach has her hair down, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Just this is the last gasp of that identity before we get into like Mario Party 4 territory and you get the massive shakeup on everything. Yeah, yeah, this was right before the, you know, GameCube, and yeah, it really was kind of almost a a bridge between the era of the N64 and the 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 new decade, right? This this is when the 90s kind of ended 
for both Mario and Donkey Kong. And, you know, as you alluded to, it has the same cast as Mario Kart 64, the, uh, the, the golden eight characters from that game. And it also reuses the same, you know, pipe frame carts from Mario Kart 64. This is the last core Mario Kart title in the numbered series before the introduction of cart selection, which would come in Double Dash. It's weird to revisit an era of Mario Kart where I see eight characters on the select screen and I think, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it, <laughs> it helps that every character is so impactful in their own way, right? Each character has that loaded history behind them. I know a lot of people like Koopa Troopa and you know, various mooks and drones. But when you have all of these characters who have starred in their own games or been the antagonists for much of their respective series, then, yeah, the, it just feels like, Oh, you're getting a lot done with just a small character yeah. selection. When you start diluting it, that's when you start quibbling about things like, oh, you have all of these characters, but you don't have Diddy Kong. You don't have Birdo, which they just rectified in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. But yeah, it's that, that's not a problem when you keep it to a small selection of characters, but characters with weight. And it's also helping that this, again, goes back to you see this image of these eight characters and you think, like, whoa, this is like Mario Kart 64 on the go. Yeah. As opposed to if it was these eight and, uh, oh, and it's Dry Bones and Rob. <laughs> right, right. That, that's, that's strange. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we weren't going to complain about this roster. Roster complaining didn't become a thing until Mario Kart DS, probably. At this point, Mario Kart had only ever had eight characters max. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, sure. Like, it I, wasn't, we weren't conditioned to expect a large roster. Like I said, I'm sure people who really liked playing as Koopa Troopa in Super Mario Kart was, were still salty of, about his absence. But, you know, I, I, I love this group of characters. I still think this is the best roster, at, at least the, the most, like, complete curated roster for any Mario Kart game. Now, there are also, as I said, multiple Yoshi color variants, red, light blue, and yellow, but only when playing linked multiplayer using a single game cartridge. I I remember this annoying me back in the day because I, for a long time, like I think at least up until Diddy was introduced in Double Dash, and honestly, maybe even a bit after that, Yoshi was my go-to character in any multiplayer multiplayer Mario spinoff. Uh-huh. And I thought, like, wow, you can play as multicolor Yoshis in this game, but only in the worst mode. <laughs> right. Why, why can't I just do that in single player? The graphics are right there. Just load in the palette swap. Come on. Thankfully, you know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe lets you just have at it. You know, you have, oh, you want to play as a shy guy? All right, what color shy guy do you want? There's also, a, I guess, a weird thing. I don't want to dwell on it, but just a weird thing to point out about um, Super Circuit as a, a quirk that it has. Um, the voice clips in this game. The cast is carried over from Mario Kart 64 
as are the voice clips, but the voice clips are from the Japanese version of Super Mario, I mean, uh, of Mario Kart 64, and I'm not sure why this is, but um, this was before a time where they, like, really codified that Charles Martin, like, just really solidified the voice cast, like, Charles Martinet is just every hat-wearing plumber. Yeah. Uh, so you have, like, the Ouija's voice clips are very high. Um, uh, they're credited to, on Cutting Room Floor, uh, Nintendo of France translator uh, Julian Bartikoff. Wario is credited to Nintendo of Germany translator Thomas Spindler, um, which is why he has, like, a German, like, a little bit of German flourish to his very... Um, honestly, on a GBA um, back in the day, this felt like like some kind of like creepy pasta thing where Wario just sounds really deep and demonic if you were expecting <laughs> Charles Martinet. And uh, T- Toad and Peach also sound different. Yeah, th- th- this is, I, I like, I think before, like you said, before they really started standardizing everything, it was still kind of the Wild West when it came to presentation and you know they they started working towards you know bringing everything into a more universal worldwide cohesiveness in the n64 era but they didn't really get there until the gamecube granted like like the one touch of that in the voice cast is yoshi has his like now standard voice yeah instead of the the sound effects yeah Let's talk a little bit, though, about Donkey Kong, because we are the conversation. We are DK Vine. I want to talk a little bit about how Donkey Kong looks and sounds in this game. Because, you know, it's worth pointing out that this is the last Mario Kart game to use Donkey Kong's carburetor voice, as we called it. It's It's the stock sound effect from Hollywood's sound libraries of a chimpanzee that Rare also used for Konga in Banjo-Kazooie. But uh, this is the last time it's used in a Mario Kart game before he's got his, you know, usual uh, grunts and growls. And um, but his his appearance, I mean, it's it's the Mario Kart sixty four model, but you very rarely see him from from head on unless you know you're finishing or you're like reversing or you you're on the podium. He does have some, like, little extra frames of animation in this game for his, like, victory um, posturing. And I have to... I honestly cannot tell if they, like... If if they were hand-drawn over the renders, because they look a little bit... And I don't know if it's just because I'm conditioned as to what a Mario Kart 64 render looks like, but it's Uh. always jarring to see them move outside of like the normal expectation of what I know these sprites do. Yeah. So I have to wonder if they were like bespoke done by hand for this game or if they actually um like were new pre-rendered frames, but they they look a bit hand done to me. I honestly can't say for certain. Neither can I and you would know more than I would being the artist of the bunch. But the thing that always sticks out to me is that it looks like Donkey Kong is wearing lipstick when he opens his mouth, right? Like, he's got ruby red lips, which 
I, I, I don't know if, if like, they wanted to make his mouth stand out because you just have various shades of brown and it doesn't look like he has his mouth open. So to do that, to signify that, you know, because the toothy grin wasn't standardized at this point. Yeah, the, yeah. Nintendo read your mind and said, like, oh, don't worry, Hyo. You won't have to worry about that ever again. <laughs> we'll make sure you know what's in Donkey Kong's mouth. Yeah, but th- this is the only time they've really, like, accentuated his lips. It's like these luscious, pouty, full, vivacious things. And I know it sounds like I'm getting horny talking about Donkey Kong's lips. I'm just trying to describe them to you. And this is what they look like. Yeah, it's a, and I, I just think there's just a consequence of there's not enough screen real estate. You got to you got to accentuate things, and again, that's part of what makes me think maybe these were these may have been like done by hand. I could be wrong. I'm open to being wrong on that. I guess the added stress of having to collect coins on the tracks caused Donkey Kong to bite his lips, and they're just bleeding profusely. Granted, this mental image may be clouded a bit because, Hyle, like me, you were playing this on a dim-ass screen (laughs) in 2001. Right. Yeah. Even on the Wii U, the Wii U had such a dim-ass presentation for, like, a a lot of their virtual console stuff. Um, But I, I just remember how, like dreary this looked on the wii u um thankfully it looks better on the um, nintendo switch online i have to give the nintendo switch online um work for the for the gba games a lot of credit because they've struck a very good balance with the the color presentation in these games where like, they don't look this good if you throw them in, like, an emulator you find online. Everything yeah. is very washed out and, like, desaturated because everything at this point was built around you not being able to see what the hell you were doing. Yeah. I, I've never seen, like, color balance handled on Game Boy Advance games this well, where I feel like like I can play these on a big screen and they don't feel intrinsically wrong to me. Um some some games fare better than others. Super Mario Advance still looks very washed out, but what can you do? That game just is very pale. Uh, but in, in general, I'm just super, super impressed with um, the NSO handling of Game Boy Advance games. I think it is, of the, the libraries of Nintendo systems they put up on the system, I f- feel like the GBA is the one where they've knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I, I'm... Really hoping we get more DKU titles on there soon. Um, so, but I, I would love to see the GBA remake trilogy of Donkey Kong Country on there. Speaking of washed out graphics, <laughs> at least for the first one. But yeah, it's I, I want King of Swing on this so oh, bad. Yeah. I want to see how it looks on Switch, and I want more people to play it. It's a very good game. I won't even bring up Rare's titles. Like it's Mr. Pants. Oh, I just guess I just brought it up. But uh, let's talk a little bit, Cameron, about the gameplay for Super Circuit. So, out of the fourteen items in Mario Kart sixty four, only eleven of them appear in Super Circuit. Uh, the Super Mushroom, the one where you could just spam the mushroom, 
the fake item box and the string of bananas, the banana bunch, were all excluded from this game. And the, the lack of the banana bunch really makes me go boo. And I don't mean the ghost because the ghost is included in the items for this game. Yeah, I, I'd never thought about it before, but when you actually list them all out like that, it occurs to me, oh, the obvious reason is those are the items that would have chugged the hardware Yeah, if they tried to put them in. Yeah. Um, for, for me, like, the, the string of bananas behind the cart were, like, were one of the best items in Mario Kart 64, just from a defense, uh, you know, kind of position. And... I didn't even think about it when playing this game at first that they were missing those things. It's just like, oh, I've never gotten that in the game. And then I was like, oh, they actually didn't include those three in there probably because it's the GBA. They've never really traditionally brought back the the line of bananas ever again. They've done triple bananas and DK's giant banana, but you never get the like long string of them uh behind your cart like you did in Super Mario. I mean, I, I always I keep putting the super in front of it. It's just a you, you say Super Mario, yeah. Um, Mario Kart sixty four. Um, the line of bananas always had this inherent comedic potential to them because you could just have somebody drive into the line of bananas and you'd hear like a very comedy sound effect just to let you know how badly you screwed up doing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> For me, uh, I always associate that too with the Toy Biz donkey kong action figure in the mario kart 64 line because that is the accessory he came with and you can like put them behind his cart and and drag them along just like you can in the games and it's just just really cool to have a little plastic representation of that has the super mushroom ever come back i guess it has it it came back in a new form it's the um It, it was toad's unlockable in Double Dash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they gave it a little crown. Or to- um, Toad's unique item, I should say. Toad and Toadette were unlockable characters. The the golden mushroom. Yeah, and then and then I think starting in DS, any character could use it. But it has that new appearance, which is why I forget about it. Because uh, it, it's got a stupid little crown on it now. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, one thing they did bring back from the original Super Mario Kart... Uh, not the feather. The feather sucks. I don't know why everybody loves the feather. Uh, it's the coins on the track. Now, in theory, in theory, having coins on the track that you collect to increase your speed should not be bothersome because Diddy Kong Racing has a very similar thing with the bananas on the track. And you can collect up to 10 there and and get up to a, a more top speed. It's very simple, easy, elegant. But in Super Circuit, if you get hit by another driver when you have zero coins, you immediately spin out. It's just this, like, paralysis. You, you can't do anything about it. You stop cold dead. And this doesn't just happen if you're a lightweight character. You can be Donkey Kong, and this happens to you because... Traditionally, if another driver bumps into you, you just lose another coin. Yeah. Uh, but but so this felt so harsh to me, especially coming off of Mario Kart 64, where I'm used to just being Donkey Kong and just bumping into people. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I I didn't mind the coin system too much, but mostly because I realized it's a 
it's a means to an end to unlock the the Super Mario Kart tracks. Yeah. But I do think it is very it future games that would bring back the coins, it feels less cumbersome to me, and I think that's entirely down to this being a mode seven style game. Yeah. Where they're embedded they're not um items littering the track like the the green shells or the red shells, which um Red Shells actually have an interesting function in this game that I don't think has ever come back in another Mario Kart game, which is you can drop them behind you and they will stay stationary on the track, but if another driver drives past them, they will suddenly become a homing missile. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, that's weird. But yeah, yeah, the the coins are just kind of laying flat on the track owing to it being, you know, mode 7 style and and because of that I think it's much harder to judge like where to hit them. Uh-huh. Not not impossible, but like I feel like item boxes are much easier to ram into. Yeah, because they they have dimensionality to them. I mean, they're still 2D sprites, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, also the the the, the cap is abnormally large in this game you can hold up to 55 coins at once i think there's like 50 coins on each track and and you start with a certain amount but like it's not just like oh you got you got all the coins you can get you're good on coins it's um it's like oh i gotta get more coins i gotta get more coins and as you said you know that ties into unlocking the original super mario kart tracks so i don't know it, it just added this complexity to what was a very simple racing mechanic in my mind. And that would have been fine in and of itself. Okay. Coins got to get, got to have some coins in your tank or, or, you know, you'll spin out when somebody runs into you. Okay. That makes it a little bit more challenging, but I got it. But to make things even more stressful, more anxiety inducing, this Mario Kart also introduced um, or, or brought into the system uh, starred ranking. So in addition to the normal points you get for finishing a race in Grand Prix, uh, you know, you, you get you get more points for the stronger position. The starred ranking judges your performance, your total performance in a Grand, P- Grand Prix on invisible unspoken metrics that you don't know what you're being penalized for you do not know what you're being rewarded for (laughs) and obviously people know it now because they've broken it down you know they've looked in the game's data but when you're just playing it in 2001 on you know a gba you don't know why you got a c rank when you finished first in every race, you're like, what do you mean I see rank? That was stellar driving. It's it's funny when you actually see the full list how arbitrary a lot of these things are. Yeah. Um yeah. like Super Mario Broth highlighted that um your score is affected just depending on which character you picked. Which I hate because you should not be given a slap on the wrist for picking your preferred character. That's the kind of garbage that turns me off as somebody who always picks Donkey Kong. And Donkey Kong makes out better than a lot of characters in this game. Yeah, you get 40 extra points for being Donkey Kong in this game. Right. Um, Kid me, who was still playing as Yoshi, 
Um, Yoshi, you get no points for playing as, uh, and that explains part of why my rankings were so terrible when I was a kid, when I was a child. I hate this, Cameron. I, I like this, this, this is the kind of like arcade mentality that really turns me off as somebody who likes to take my time with games and, and doesn't want to be judged for how I play games. I cannot. I, I think this is the first Mario Kart game to have a ranking system like this, and I cannot stand this shit. Yeah. I, I, I'm not averse to games ranking your performance if it feels like, like it may not be my cup of tea always, but I'm okay with it if it feels like I have total agency over what I'm doing. Yeah. So it feels like, say, you know, like you're learning a song on an instrument and you're just trying it and trying until you get better and better and you can play it perfectly. There are so many randomized factors in Mario Kart that it can feel like, well, you played the song just like pitch perfectly for the first 80% of it, but then somebody choke slammed you during it. <laughs> and you screwed up a few notes there, so we're going to have to dock you. Yep, yep. So th- th- I-, I borrowed this list from our friends at Super Mario Wiki. We should, we should just read through all the things, all of the variables that can affect your rank, right? And if you want to unlock the nighttime title screen in Mario Kart Super Circuit... Full uh, disclosure, I never have, because uh, I hate uh, this shit. <laughs> you've got to get a perfect, or, or you've got to get a triple star ranking on all of the cups, right? So... the number of coins collected during the race the number of times a character is hit by the lightning and that actually increases their points by 40 it's a it's a good thing apparently the amount of time the player takes to complete each lap how many frames the player does not press the accelerate button for how many frames the player presses the brake button for how many times the player uses the triple red shells item it's a bad thing how many times the player uses the star item how many times the player uses the lightning item and and compared to getting hit by it using it is a bad thing how many times lack two places the character back on the track how many times the character hits another driver or enemy how many times the character bumps into a wall how many times the character spins out and loses coins whether from an item or enemy how many times the player has restarted the race I mean, fair on that one. How many times the character performs a rocket start or a boost upon hitting the ground after being picked up by Lakitu? And and that's actually a bad thing. You're punished for doing a rocket start or doing a boost. And I'm like, isn't that showing you know how to play the game? But no, 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 it's a bad thing. Bad, bad, bad. 
bad super circuit player. How many times the character passes through an item box while an item already occupies the item slot? Holding an item behind the character or having triple green shells or triple red shells circle the character does not count. And I don't know. This is actually a good thing. Increases your points by 15. I, I, I don't know why. How many animation frames the character spends on an off-road section of the track? Some courses are marked as containing no off-road sections, such as the Bowser Castle courses and, strangely, Mario Circuit 2 and Chaco Island 2. These courses instead increment this value each time a character hits a wall. In Chaco Island 2, the mud pool in the middle of the course still counts as an off-road section. And yes, that decreases your points, but only by 0.25. So get a little muddy, it's not the end of the world. Uh, the engine class selected, which just, just you know, a- awards you uh, actually more skill points the lower the engine class is, which I always assumed 50cc was easier to play. Whatever. There's a unique value that varies for each course in the game. Uh, certain courses award skill points equal to that course's track value. I, I'm really getting lost here. And then we have which character the player selects to play as. This value is seemingly connected to how difficult the character is to use in a race based on their stats. A variable amount of skill points is awarded at the end of each race based on which character the player had selected. And so playing as Bowser nets you the most points at 45. Playing as our boy Donkey Kong awards you 40 points, so not bad for the DK fans. Playing as Mario or Luigi awards you 30 skill points. Playing as Peter Toad only awards you 10. And playing as Yoshi, Cameron's preferred favorite back in the day, awards you a whopping zero skill points. Yoshi's bad. Mario Kart Super Circuit hates Yoshi and his many, many fans. Oh, I, I, I hate this kind of stuff, especially because the game doesn't communicate any of this to you. You're supposed to just figure it out, and... This, this is Yoshi's start of darkness for his tax evasion. <laughs> At least Mario Kart Tour, which is built around getting points, is a very transparent system, and the whole game revolves around it. You know what yeah, to do. Yeah, you literally have your score on a screen the entire time. And you know what to do. You know how to up it. You know how to increase it. Your mind is built around that. And yeah, you get the- little descriptors for everything you do that increases it, letting you know what you did. Yes. and, and- Oh, you... You successfully hit somebody with an item. You went off a ramp. You glided for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Even finishing first, while it nets you more points, isn't completely essential in Mario Kart Tour because it's just all about accumulating points wherever you can. Uh, The way it's done... You can make up differences very easily in Mario Kart Tour. Yeah, the, the way Super Circuit does it just makes me feel like the game is always judging me and shaming me and and 
in 2001 in particular, that made it very hard to enjoy. Oh, I, I got first place in every lap. I got the gold trophy. I got a C rank. And you just kind of have to just shrug it off. But you're like, oh, apparently I'm terrible at this. Great. But uh, at least for how arduous and annoying this is, I'm glad the only thing it locks unlocks of significance is the title screen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They, they could have put a lot more behind this metaphorical paywall, and they didn't. L- looking, so. looking in Mario Kart Wii's direction. Oh, God. <sighs> well, aside from how harsh the game judges you driving around them, I think the tracks are the most interesting part of Mario Kart Super Circuit. Now, they're all 2D in the style of Super Mario Kart, albeit obviously not using actual Mode 7 capabilities. Um, it, It does still play a lot like Super Mario Kart. And it has five cups instead of Mario Kart 64's four, and 20 normal tracks instead of 16. It introduces the Thunder Cup between the Flower and Star Cup, and of course retains the Special Cup for the end. And I don't want to discuss every single track, because we're not going to have a lot to talk about for some you, of them. You don't there. want to talk about Bowser's Castle four times? Oh, well, there's so many variations between Bowser Castle 1, Bowser Castle 2, Bowser Castle 3, and Bowser Castle 4. Not even bringing in... Bowser's Castle Super Circuit, Bowser's Castle Double Dash. Yeah, yeah, which is really fun in Mario Kart Tour when they bring back, like, every iteration of Bowser's Castle, and you're just, oh, God. Which one is this again? Yeah. (laughs) So, I I don't want to do that, and a lot of these are pretty bare bones it is super mario kart style so you can't have a lot of added depth to the tracks that that said um massive feather in its cap this has over super mario kart um you're not dealing with half of the screen real estate being gone like it is in super mario kart so you get these much more fully featured parallax backgrounds yeah which um they're still 2d but they they have some fun, like, depth of field stuff going on, but also I just really like the aesthetic of them. They are very, for being a game that uses pre-rendered strikes, they're very very illustrative, is the word yeah. I would use. Yeah, and, and like I said, the tracks in Super Circuit really stand out in my mind, which is impressive considering... They're not the most exciting Mario Kart tracks, but just visually, they're impactful. They really give you a sense of place and presence. And that goes a long way towards lodging into my brain, right? Like, I was excited when... I'm always excited when they bring back a Super Circuit track in a more modern-day Mario Kart game. And oftentimes, I'm disappointed with what they do with them, but... That's, that's I think, a case-by-case basis. So I did curate, I think, some of the more noteworthy tracks in my mind that I would like to discuss briefly, a bit by bit. Uh, if you have a track, Cameron, that you would like to point out that I don't bring up, feel free. But 
let's start with the first track from the Mushroom Cup. The the inaugural track of the game is the Peach Circuit. And the only reason I bring up Peach Circuit, it's a pretty basic, bog-standard Mario Kart track in the style like Luigi Raceway and, and what have you. But it's got Peach's Castle in the background. And this is the very first time... I ever had to just shrug my shoulders and say, I guess this is a different castle than the one from Super Mario 64. Because its placement makes no sense when factoring in that game or Royal Raceway from Mario Kart 64 or any subsequent appearance. I was just like, eh, this is is a different castle. She has more than one. It's funny you say that, Heil, because this is specifically the version of Peach's Castle from Paper Mario. Oh, well, there you go. Or at least very clearly intended to be it um, just a bit more a bit more rounded off uh-huh. than it was in, in Paper Mario, because obviously in 64. Yeah. But you can tell from like the, the sort of wavy pattern on the top and the way that... I, I love this shape language for Peach's Castle whenever they do this, where it, it it's like tapered at the bottom and bows outward uh-huh. so that things are like a little bit wonky as the towers expand. Yeah, I, I, I really like the way this looks in, in in the background here. It's enormous in the background. You know, they obviously had to make it... Uh, appear bigger than it normally does but yeah it it's um and the washed out colors like actually aid in making it look like even bigger because it looks like it must be very far away yeah actually they just brought this version of peach circuit into mario kart tour this past week uh, they're, they're with they the, did yeah. and uh i i so far in my limited experience pretty impressed with what they did with it just because they really have played around with it's always fun when they bring a super circuit track back and play with depth in a way that the GBA couldn't. Right. This is a very, very up and down revision on yeah. Peach Circuit. They seem to do that more with the super circuit tracks than they do with the original Super Mario Kart tracks. There, there seems to be some level of reverence that they always pay to the Super Mario Kart tracks and they keep them mostly flat. Like they'll add maybe ramps here or there, especially if it's a trick variant. But honestly, part of me wonders if it's in part because they've been adding more GBA tracks as of late to Mario Kart Tour. And throughout the life of Mario Kart Tour, they've cut off compatibility gradually with older and older phones. Oh, maybe, yeah. And I'm wondering if they've kind of let themselves go a little bit more nuts with um, what they're willing to do with geometry and complexity because of that. That, that. that could be the case. Of course, then a lot of these tracks get recycled and, and sort of given a little bit more gloss and sheen and put into the booster course pass for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So, you know, maybe we'll see this as of, as of yet in that game as well. But, um, yeah, then the second track in the game, in the Mushroom Cup, is Shy Guy Beach. And Shy Guy Beach is interesting because in the background, 
you have the Shy Guy ship, the Shy Guy Galleon, I guess, which I believe was from Yoshi's Story. I'm I'm blanking on it, but yes, I believe it's from Yoshi's Story. Uh huh. And of course, there's also uh, the Shy Guy Captain from Shy Guy Says in Mario Party. So, uh, Shy Guys and piracy have been this linked thing um, throughout different Mario games. I was I was gonna say it's always fun when they like give the shy guys a like costumed identity but uh well we'll come we'll come back to where that may <laughs> not always be the case when we talk about another track so mario kart 64 on its beach they had the generic crabs but here they also use sidesteppers from the original mario brothers arcade game um kind of um like I, I I don't know like the list of appearances of like characters from that, but it, it it does show a larger willingness to kind of tap into the history a little bit more than than we even saw in Mario Kart sixty four, which was very much mo- mostly of the era of Super Mario sixty four. Like they they didn't reference too much prior to that. And they'd become a recurring um, track hazard in Mario Kart games going forward after this. Yeah. yeah. Like, especially, Tor makes liberal use of them for um, challenges where you're not supposed to hit any obstacles. Sometimes they'll just litter a track full of sidesteppers. Yeah. I like, in, in my headcanon, though, um, as far as the, the pirate shy guys go, I like to imagine it's the same shy guy on this ship as the one from shy guy says i don't know i i I just like to think that uh he's he's showing back up he's sailing around this is this is his uh these are his waters right that he patrols but yeah just just a cool little visual flourish that i appreciate like they really did go above and beyond in making these tracks feel lived in in a way that even mario kart 64 didn't really do and granted, it's not just um, decoration in this level either. They uh, cannonballs rain down That's in right. this track, yeah. being fired from the ship, which is that's uh, a, a pretty surprisingly elaborate thing for a GBA game to do. And that that really helps add that sense of 3D, right? Like this, this is this is not a genuine 3D game, but to have background elements firing on you. It, it really does make it feel like an actual place. Yeah, the context actually matters. This isn't just, well, it, you're not, it, it's more than just a painted room that you're yes. in. Yes, yes, exactly. And and I think that level of depth really like pays off later. This is, I think, the first Mario Kart game that feels like it's a real world and not just set pieces designed for you to trek through. Which brings us to Riverside Park, the third track, and of course, the most notable one in DK Vine's esteemed opinion, because we maintain that this is Donkey Kong's home track in the game, owing to the similarity both in visuals and name to DK's Jungle Parkway from off of Mario Kart 64. 
there's also just a lot of like little incidental things that we like i've run with this opinion too that it's a stealth donkey kong track yeah um donkey kong is very prominent in the little vignette um for this track yep. on the on the track select um the the music for it is very donkey kong ish yeah i there there are people who are always surprised because we brought this up when they added riverside park to mario kart tour and mario kart 8 deluxe just like what do you mean it's a Donkey Kong track? It doesn't say Donkey Kong on it. You're full of shit, DK Vine. I'm like, and, and granted, the, the paint over it gets in um, Tor and Mario Kart 8 is a bit less naturalistic than yeah. this looks. Where yeah. b- Because this is, a, again, a more illustrative, um, natural-looking background, it skews a bit more mentally like aligning with what Donkey Kong stuff looks like to me right, in the GBA right. game. Yeah. Specifically, you know, Donkey Kong Country, but even like Payon's games, King of Swing, and like yeah, it, it it does look like it could just be somewhere deep in the Congo jungle, you know. And in my head canon at least, and Dustin and I talked about this on our recent conversation about the Congo jungle, but I think Riverside Park, um is just the park like like a uh, kind of a state park or a national park on Donkey Kong Island, and you just come there and you know relax and it seems like a con- like a this is the sectioned off area of of Donkey Kong Island. We're like okay, you can play around here. You are not developing anywhere else. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, back just along the banks of the Congo River. So I I think. <sighs> One of the most famous tracks from Super Circuit is the third track of the Flower Cup, and that is Cheese Land. And, and Cheese Land does show up in Mario Kart 8. They, they brought it back in Mario Kart 8. But in your opinion, and in my opinion, they ruined what makes Cheese Land so special <laughs> yeah. in Super Circuit. I. I made sure we were going to bring up Cheese Land on this episode because I wanted to complain about this. <laughs> um, I think Cheese Land might be the most visually striking um, course in Super Circuit, especially if you're not expecting it to be there. Yeah. It's a very bold yellow and super saturated blue track um with you know cheese on the cheese on the ground blue in the sky like a surreal looking uh planet in the sky i don't know if this is supposed to be like you're on the moon oh yeah and it's made of cheese contextually oh, yeah. in the original that's kind of the read i always had on it definitely it might like be looking at earth i always took this to be the moon of the mushroom world and it's literally made of cheese because the mushroom world is wacky. And, like, yeah, the the whole, like, I don't know, wives' tale or, or like, mythology that the moon is made of green cheese. I don't even know where that came from. But it's, it's just, it's such a cool look. It's, it's, they're, like, melty cheese, like, towers and things. It's, like, a very... Yeah. It's like a very blown out like Dolly painting with a bunch of little mousers running around. Yes, the the little mousers from the Yoshi games. Um which uh also gone in 
Mario Kart 8 <laughs> right, version of it. Right. Yeah, a Mario Kart 8 version of it just sets it in a desert or like a canyon. Yeah, I'm not even... Ch- it's hard to tell if it's meant to literally be cheese in Mario Kart 8's version because everything just looks kind of dirty <laughs> and de- desaturated. Yeah. Um, it's also during the daytime. It's not at night with this like bright neon sky. And and so you um, you, it's, lo- you lose that sci-fi. It's very terrestrial aesthetic. as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and here it's no, it's it's the moon, and it's made of cheese, which I think fits so well with some of the other like food based imagery we've seen in these Mario games, like you know, chocolate mountains and like enormous cakes that you can run around on and yeah cheese land why not and, and that really yeah. uh just just the stroke of genius and this is why like super circuit especially in its tracks really punches above its weight just selling you on this and your brain kind of fills in the gaps and these are very simple basic tracks but they really pop in your imagination. And that's really what makes a good game a great game. And I know we said, like, Super Mario... I'm sorry, I, I did it too. Mario Kart Super Circuit. This is why Mario Kart Advance would have been a superior title. This would be Mario Kart 3. <laughs> it doesn't do anything egregiously wrong, but it doesn't do anything really great. But I think what it does actually do really great is just track presentation. And yeah, that's really and, where it counts. Yeah, and I, I don't want to dislike this just because it's different, because anything I can levy against Mario Kart 8, I do think it is a gorgeous-looking Mario Kart, and I do genuine, generally, for the most part, love when Mario Kart reinvents a track for the modern era. Uh-huh. Um, but it can be hit or miss sometimes, and this... This, along with um, N64 Rainbow Road in Mario Kart 8, I think are the biggest misses for me. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, it's hard the, when you reimagine a track to specifically tap into not just the original aesthetic, but where you, you were as a individual at that time of your life and, and how you might have read it compared to how somebody else might have read it. It's just impossible to do it justice for anybody. And usually I'm okay with it. But Cheeseland, 0 out of 10. Just they they botched what made it so special. Uh, So I think the next track we need to discuss in tandem with the track immediately after it. It's the first two tracks of the Thunder Cup. And what makes this special is something that would really start being embraced in Mario Kart Double Dash. This implied interconnectivity between tracks and really making you feel like there is a cohesive world uniting these tracks together. Of course, Double Dash would do it by, you know... Several tracks, you could see landmarks from other tracks in the background, right? Like DK Mountain, you can spot from Baby Park and Dino Dino Jungle. This one's interesting because it's not only... I feel like maybe we haven't really seen this in another Mario Kart game, but it's not only a shared world between two tracks, but continuity 
between yeah. two tracks. Yeah. And, the, you know, me as the rare baby, as the person who lives for this kind of stuff, this is actually the part of Super Circuit that made me giddy. Giddy is diddy. I saw this and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so cool. And it, I mean, I think it really shows what bringing in like a fresh set of developers into a franchise like Mario Kart can do for it. Having intelligent systems come in and do this. Like, uh, so what we're talking about is Luigi Circuit, the first track of the Thunder Cup. It takes place at a small airport that Luigi apparently owns because, you know, why not? Uh, and this is also notable because it's raining. It, it's raining in this track. First off, I love that it's Luigi's course, so of course there's a heavy downpour. Just, just, just a. This is like the. I, I feel like beginning, at, at least like fully in swing by Luigi's Mansion is Luigi is the character who gets shit on in universe. He's the Charlie Mario. Brown. He's the Charlie Brown of the Mario cast. Right, and so yeah, it's Luigi's home turf. So of course it's just absolutely awful yeah (laughs) right now for everybody but because of that there's so much visually interesting going on with this track that's impressive for a a gba game um there's a heavy downpour uh when the track starts which you know comes with obviously like track hazards being there's puddles of water everywhere but what it means is there is rain rendered on the screen And at the start of the race, it's just straight raindrops falling to the ground. As you accelerate, the rain starts coming into the screen. Yeah. That's impressive. Like, that is an impressive graphical feat for the GBA. Launch title, essentially, GBA game, too. Um, Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the rain creates puddles and hazards it's not a pleasant track to play on really but uh i really like what it does and there is this luigi blimp in the background of the track and then in the very next track which is sky garden it takes place in sort of a jack and the beanstalk typeset i mean very similar to things we've seen in mario games of the past you know this cloud realm with beanstalks and what have you and uh, flying around in the background of Sky Garden is the Luigi blimp. And like what I was saying about continuity earlier, this Luigi blimp in Luigi Circuit, it starts off for the first two laps as a stationary background prop. Uh-huh. On the third lap, it takes off. Yeah. And I think this is... This is something that's a feather in the cap for Super Circuit in general, because I think the the only thing that had been done before like this is um, the thwomps in Super Mario Kart that only activate on the second lap, but they're always around, so... Mm-hmm. But um, Super Circuit really leans into the idea of a track dynamically evolving lap-to-lap... Um, whether that's just something in the background changing or introducing a new hazard. But it it's something I really, to this day, appreciate and love about Super Circuit, just cramming in a lot in 
what Littlewood had to work with. The more we talk about it, the more I realize this is a really underrated entry in the Mario Kart series. Like, what <laughs> what what it does, actually. Like I said, it, it's not something that really comes to the forefront of your brain when you're thinking about it. But when you're actually breaking it down, you're like, whoa. Whoa. Why can't Mario Kart games do this more? Uh, like, th- this this is really cool. I, I really love this shared sense of place that unites Luigi Circuit and Sky Garden. Right? Like, too often, the four four tracks in a uh, Mario Kart cup feel so disconnected from one another. Like, they don't even take place, you know, in the same world, necessarily. And in our case, we might argue, you know, that is true when you have a Donkey Kong Island track, but I digress. It's just, you, you had a full reset when the screen went black between transitions. Yeah, and, and here... Here you're like, oh, okay, then they caught a lift up to Sky Garden, which is somewhere above or nearby this airport, and, and there's the Luigi blimp to prove it. That's so cool. That's that's just uh just again, that level of context that they didn't need to put in there, but they did anyway, and that really just helps legitimize everything in your brain. I also like that this continuity is specifically between the, like, dichotomy of Mushroom Kingdom locations. Um, A very normal-looking airfield versus a track in the clouds with, like, stone and grass and vines floating on big, fluffy clouds. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's, I think, where Mario can excel in his presentation is mixing the normal with the absurd and, and kind of united them. That's some of my favorite parts of the Super Mario Brothers movie where the background bits of seeing just the toads engage with their day-to-day life and have it be, on one hand, completely rote and relatable, and on the other hand, just fantastic and absurd. It, it, it's something that I really like about the Banjo series. It's... It's a it's like a tropiness thing I love just seeing in a fantasy world in general, where you present this idea of, okay, what is in this fantastical magical world where nothing makes sense and everything is surreal? What is the most boring day like for somebody who lives here? Yeah, I mean that's something that rare really does with much of their games, specifically you know the the core DKU series and then Platonic is done with ukulele as well, which is just, Oh, here we've got this Kraken monster living in a haunted swamp and he's just trying to finish his soap opera and ukulele interrupt him. And he's just like, I'm trying to finish my stories. What are you doing? Or like, you know, Rampo with uh, thinking they're door to door salesmen Terry going through a messy divorce that has him on edge. Right, right. That's the kind of stuff I love. And uh, you don't see it that often. Should be pointed out, Intelligent Systems excelled at this in Paper Mario. I I was just about to say, you don't see it too often in Mario games, aside from things like Paper Mario. So it makes complete sense that they're filtering it into the... The usual very stripped down Mario Kart DNA, and even though they can't really communicate 
plot or anything, just having these visual cues here or there really make a world of difference, especially when you don't have a lot of horsepower in the game itself to do this, then mwah. Where they got in trouble with that, though, Cameron, is in the next track we're discussing <laughs> Sunset Wiles, which is your kind of typical sort of American Southwest pastiche, uh, you know, canyons, desert. Um, Very, uh, like you got the, um, like the good, bad, and the ugly sting in the music. You do. It's kind of like uh, Calamari Desert from Mario Kart 64 Sands Train. So they have these stage hazards in Sunset Wilds of shy guys living in teepees. And you run into one of them and the shy guy will then like literally clutch the back of your driver and slow you down. And and you're like trying to shake them off, right? So you're like shy guys living in teepees. That's a bit weird. And there are also um, totem totem poles around the track. Yeah, made of Mario enemies. Oh yeah, that's that's right. Um, well, unless you lived in Japan, you you wouldn't have realized that in the like the original Japanese version, these shy guys living in teepees also have enormous headdresses, uh, feathered headdresses similar to what indigenous americans yeah they they're they're wearing do- dollar store native american costumes yeah yeah and you know we, we've talked about this a little bit here on the conversation in the past rare has been guilty of this just cultural osmosis seeing american like media depictions of this from especially the mid 20th century in our movies and Westerns. And then it kind of gets sort of incorporated into just the global hive mind. But at the very least, somebody on a localization team alerted and said, Hey, we probably shouldn't do this, which is kind of forward thinking for 2001. I have to say this does feel like a, a paradigm shift in 2001 to be to have to have enough cultural awareness to say this probably isn't okay and we should change it i mean this was this is one year after banjo tooie two years after conquer's pocket tales i was specifically thinking of the acorn people uh that you encounter in vulturville but yeah, I mean, the, I, I, you're right. I think this is where they really started to be a little bit more cogniz- cognizantly aware of cultural sensibilities. And like, you know, may- maybe we won't have that in the global release. And in later appearances of Sunset Wilds, they've completely eliminated the whole like TP aspect. They are now shy guy explorers who are just like, they got like pickaxes and they're just Yeah, there. it was a really clever like revision which i think like they, i think tour first established it but it like reframes them as oh they're living in tents because they've got like a temporary setup to right go looking around this place they're, um, they're digging for dinosaur bones or something that, which yeah i mean that, that that makes sense ignoring the elephant in the room with this track i do think it is one of the visually coolest in the game yeah, because we've talked about dynamic track changes. This one has probably the most obvious one, which is 
Um, true to its name, Sunset Wilds. Over the course of three laps, the sky gets darker and darker. And it's not just the background fading, the entire color palette of the background, the track, and your drivers all like darken and purple as the race goes on. It's really cool. It's so lush. So lush and vibrant. And yeah, and yeah, just the hues just pop. And and it's it's something that of course, like one of the most exciting things about the original Donkey Kong Country was, you know, getting to the end of Jungle Hijinks and having the it get dark, and you're like, "Ooh, what's happening?" And then you're in Ropey Rampage, and it's a storm, and then you get to the end of Ropey Rampage, and oh, the, the 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 clouds are parting, the sun is back out, and yeah, I I love that kind of stuff. I I love just that. Kind kind of just environmental changes that make you feel like you're on more than just a static, stagnant racetrack, right? So, yeah, just 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 wonderful. Um, Ribbon Road is uh, kind kind of similar to Cheese Land, just uh, kind of a, an absurd fantasy esque setting. And it was almost like Intelligent Systems was like, okay, well, we've got Rainbow Road as kind of th- th- this this standard for Mario Kart. Could we come up with something that could rival Rainbow Road? And while I don't think you can because Rainbow Road is just such a great concept, what they hit upon was a track made entirely out of gift wrapping. <laughs> And and taking place like in this huge, I, I don't I even mean, know what it's supposed like, to be. Peach's birthday cake kind of premise. Yeah, yeah. You've got these enormous like presents in the background, and uh, you've got like s- streamers or or more ribbon like strewn across the. I'm not even sure if it's supposed to be sky. Given later recontextualizations of this. Yeah, I, I can't tell if this is supposed to be its own like gift wrapping realm or land or or if the characters are shrunk down. Because of the like nature of the wraparound backgrounds in this game, because they, they have to loop around Flintstone style because of how they're constructed. There's like these pill there's like these bright marble pillars with streamers wrapped around them. Mm-hmm. And because of how they'd have to work when you're like spinning around this track, I can't tell if you're in like are you in like a giant like gazebo like structure or I don't really know quite how to parse what's happening. And uh, yeah, I think the Mario Kart 8 team just threw up their hands and said, we don't know either. But uh, unlike Cheeseland, I actually kind of I, I really like what they did to reinvent this for Mario Kart 8, even though it goes wildly off script from what this is. Yeah, yeah, because R- Ribbon Road here. It's it's a lot more fantasy esque. It's a lot more just playing with the absurd ideas like Cheese Land. What Mario Kart Eight did was they turned it into a child's bedroom, and and kind of um, built it around like maybe the child just had a birthday, or or maybe it was like a holiday. Very very Andy's room from Toy Story vibe too, right? Because there, there are still presents around, but I, I apparently. Either like their their big present or whatever 
was this uh, like racetrack set and that the actual Mario Kart drivers have shrunk down and they're driving on the racetrack. It's very like master hand at the beginning of Super Smash Brothers kind of vibes as well. But um, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind it in Mario Kart 8, although you lose the same sense of place that Super Circuit presents. You do, but I at least like that it is, it's not the same sense of place, but it is a compelling place. Uh-huh. As opposed to a, a, a quarry. So I just I just looked it up, um, the high-res image of Ribbon Road in Mario Kart 8, and it does look like there are, like, cart sets um, from from Lemmy's brand. Um, well, actually, it's, it's like, Toad, Toad Toy Company or something, but there are little boxes all around, and it's like... It's like the it almost takes the Super Smash Brothers concept and it says the Mario Kart drivers are just toys in this context. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I guess it as far as recontextualizations go, it doesn't go that far afield. It still keeps the general idea there. It just gives it far more context. I mean, I can believe that the drivers are still the real drivers in this and they're just re contextualize in this world where they are the size of toys they've shrunk down. there's a very sure. like toyetic aesthetic to everything around them and they're even like the little um mecha koopa automatons there's a bunch of there's a bunch of yarn yoshi toys i like that little yeah th- that that feels like again a little bit of like brand fun brand synergy in the way that having all this paper mario stuff in super circuit is yeah, that you don't really see that often in Mario Kart games. So the, my second favorite track in the game, Cameron, is Lakeside Park, which is which is kind of the uh, sister to Riverside Park, and it's the one that kicks off uh, kicks off the special cup, and this is the one that has the thumbnail that we both love of. Wario yeah, with, getting with DK on fire and Donkey Kong on fire, <laughs> right? So, I, I also maintain that Lakeside Park takes place on Donkey Kong Island. Just a, it's a separate park from Riverside Park, and of course, this is where we've got active volcanoes raining down molten rocks on on the drivers. A really just fun jungle style track, um, and and again, like like the cannonballs on Shy Guy Beach. It blends background elements with foreground hazards. Yeah, the the sky darkens as like things start to get nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The volcanoes erupt, and clearly the the first stirrings of the Tiki Tak tribe long before they resurrected themselves at the beginning of Donkey Kong Country returns. But yeah, we haven't seen Lakeside Park make a comeback. Um, here's hoping it it does at one point. And then finally, the last track I want to discuss, um, aside from the bonus tracks, if you will, is uh, Rainbow Road, which, uh, you know, this game's iteration of Rainbow Road isn't that memorable, in my opinion, but it has one memorable aspect of it. Yeah, it's, this is the reason the track stands out in my mind, and it's because as a decorative background element, uh, we have Bowser's Castle from Paper Mario. Right. And specifically, in the context it would have been in the original Paper Mario, which is, well, <laughs> well, statute of limitations on spoilers for the original Paper Mario 
is long past. Um, but early in that game, um, it's revealed Bowser's part of Bowser's latest scheme is to uproot Peach's castle atop his own floating fortress, which I, I think this is the first time Bowser has had this like floating castle, which I have to assume is also a heavy inspiration for the Mario movies, like floating continent yeah. that Bowser has. But it's this giant like Koopa Clown Car-esque fortress with dangling mace balls and Peach's Castle sitting aloft, hovering in the night sky, which is what it did for most of Paper Mario. Such a great design, too. I love how it marries the clown car uh, from Super Mario World and, and with with the actual architecture of Bowser's Castle. I, I really like it. And of course... Not having played Paper Mario at the time, this was the first time I saw this. And I was just like, that's that's cool. That's a cool design. Oh, I really like that. And then later I would learn that it's actually a reference. But yeah, um, I'd really, really like to see that cross-brand unity here. I mean, it's the same reason, like, as a Donkey Kong fan, having retro design the Donkey Kong track for Mario Kart 7 that would later be repurposed for 8, seeing all of the Donkey Kong Country Returns references and actually having Donkey Kong, the series, embraced in a Mario Kart track felt so refreshing after just having mostly generic jungles or ski resorts for so long. So I, I love, you know, when different games in like in different sub series give each other a shout out and of course this was done of course because intelligent systems made this one but that's what you get when you get like uh ringers in there like intelligent systems or retro studios is you get the really juicy references you wouldn't ordinarily get given how nintendo does business now hi i'm afraid i'm gonna need you to play through paper mario to explain how this castle is in this state after the events of Paper Mario, when Peach's castle probably shouldn't still be there. We now know from subsequent games that Paper Mario is an alternate timeline from the main one. So the events of Paper Mario didn't happen one-to-one to the events of the main Mario timeline. So therefore... Bowser might have a side hustle going on during the events of Super Circuit that parallels very closely with what happened with Paper Mario. I, I do like to think the events of the Paper Mario games still happen in the main continuity, just not necessarily every detail of them. It's the only way I can hold on to my attachments to those games. I, I think that's probably the best way of looking at it. You know, a- after they crossed over the Mario and Luigi games with the their paper mario counterparts and uh which i still think was a mistake like i get why they did it but i don't like just viewing every design or or visually distinct graphical presentation as its own unique iteration of the character i'm like you can have fun with the graphics and not say it's a different character yeah i i'm of that mind i think it's perfectly fine to just I have the capacity to accept that I'm just viewing a game through a different lens. Right. King of Swing is not hand-drawn DK, a distinct entity from uh, SGI-rendered DK. Oh, could you imagine? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And, and we don't say that, you know, Mr. Pants exists in a different, like, second dimension from, from all the other rare characters. It's like, no, we're just viewing him through this very distinctive style. He's still just a guy in this world. He's not literally a stick figure running around. Anyway. The end, end of the day. Still really cool to see Paper Mario referenced in this game. Like, all these re- references, like Yoshi's story, just, yeah, I mean, I really, really like the level of continuity across the entirety of Mario history in Super Circuit. Speaking of Mario history in Super Circuit, the original Super Mario Kart tracks are unlockable. It's kind of complicated the way you unlock them. I couldn't even remember how to do this. I was trying to do this the other year. The annoying thing is that um, the the unlock method is re- relatively simple. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just um, accumulating a certain threshold of coins in a cup. The problem is that even if you meet that threshold your first time through the cup, you are not awarded the extra tracks. You have to do it again. And that always throws me off, that I have to do it twice. It's like Rextro's high scores in ukulele. Yeah, oh yeah, it's exactly like that, and I hate that. Oh my god. And yeah, it's um, just, it, it's not intuitive, right? You think you might get it from just playing really well or getting gold and everything and no there's just that extra step and then you have to do it each time for every class for every engine class yeah it is a hundred coins yeah as well which is pretty achievable it's like a i feel like it's a if you know to do it you can pretty easily achieve it um if you're if you're conscious that's that's what you have to do but again nothing in the game will communicate to you that that's what you have to do right right um, like, I think I didn't even know these were in the game until I went online and discovered, oh, I've only been playing about half the tracks in this game. It's it's interesting that you say that because uh, there's a lot of misinformation about this game. Like, unless you were, like, super online or reading the magazines about this game, there's this general assumption that I kept running into in 2001 that this was merely a port or or remake of Super Mario Kart uh, rather than a wholly original Mario Kart. Like, this idea that these Super Mario Kart tracks were in there was already, like, known or assumed. And maybe this was owing to Super Mario Advance, you know... uh, You know, now that you say that, I'm wondering if that's why they changed the name. If Super Mario Advance being derived from part of Super Mario All-Stars was like inadvertent brand poisoning perhaps for something like this perhaps yeah they 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 there there's too much market confusion because super mario advance was just a remake of super mario brothers 2 and so you would just assume that mario kart advance would be a remake of the original super mario kart and it was already known that the original tracks were going to be in there but for whatever reason this that crowded out the eight like very real sellable idea that there were 20 original tracks in there. And, and yeah, so I kept running into this misinformation. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get a game boy advance. Cause I really want to get Mario Kart super circuit. And somebody told me, why do you want that? It's just super Mario Kart. 
and, and I was like, no, it's it's a whole new game. And they're like, no, you're wrong. God, I just ran into so many smug, incorrect people in that day and age. Completely unlike 2023. So anyway, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, you, can, you can Google stuff immediately and people will still tell you to your face that you're that's wrong. That's true. I guess, I guess what's <laughs> different now is I just avoid... Every every person like that in my life now. <laughs> I I become a far greater social recluse than I was back in 2001 when I was just a sweet summer child. But uh, you know, it's I don't I don't know. It, it's surprising to me how little these Super Mario Kart tracks in these extra cups because they're called extra mushroom cup, extra flower cup, and so on. They're they're just like the the same cups with extra affixed to them. But yeah, they're not really like clearly marketed in the game itself as these are the tracks from Super Mario Kart. These are retro tracks, even though this is the first Mario Kart game to do retro tracks. And I think that that also fed into the confusion because we were not accustomed to that being a selling point of Mario Kart games. Like, oh yeah, you got you got these old tracks in here too. Uh, yeah, Double we, Dash didn't do it afterwards. No, no. But it's amazing to me replaying this that I'm not really thinking of any of these tracks in terms of them being Super Mario Kart tracks. They don't feel like the Super Mario Kart tracks even though they're laid out the same. And that's because they they reuse the backgrounds from the 20 original tracks in this game. Yeah. Which is kind of a little bit, a little bit jarring. Um, but I understand why they had to, because those super Mario Kart backgrounds were simply not in any shape to repurpose for right. this. Right. Again, no screen real estate in super Mario Kart, but the, the one bit of like authenticity slash surrealness you get is that it does have arrangements of the original music. That's true. Yeah, it does. It does. So it's it's fun like playing the Donut Plains tracks, the three Donut Plains tracks from Super Mario Kart, because you've got that music, but then you've got the Riverside Park backgrounds from Super Circuit. And so this creates this continuity question in my head, like, Okay, well, this can't be the original Donut Plains tracks, which take place in Dinosaur Land, if this is Riverside Park, which we say takes place on Donkey Kong Island. Ergo, they must have recreated the Donut Plains tracks in Riverside Park specifically for Mario Kart Super Circuit. So, yeah, uh, that, that that that's always fun for me to have these, like, continuity wrinkles like how am i going to solve this in my head oh, okay they rebuilt them they they rebuilt them on donkey kong island ah these aren't the original ones and so then when we go back to donut planes in later games like mario kart tour you're going back to the dinosaur land versions and not the ones on donkey kong island which apparently you know you would think would still be there but they're just being enjoyed by kongs on holiday or whatever not being used in any official capacity but yeah, this this was really cool to have as kind of like an extra bonus feature. But it, it was, I think they were worried 
and maybe you know their their market research show, show that there was this general confusion out there. They were worried about people just thinking this was just another port or or, or remake for the GBA, and the GBA would be well known for that, you know, with the Super Mario Advance series and the Donkey Kong Country remakes. But link to the past, link to the past, just... yeah. Uh, but they they wanted people to know this was a new Mario Kart game, so they kind of undersold this, and, and they kind of just pushed it under the rug a little bit. It's just weird compared to nowadays when it's a big selling point, and they've extended the life of Mario Kart Eight Deluxe to the point that they have by having like doubling the amount of tracks in the game with original or or with with um original tour tracks and classic tracks from past games. Cameron, have you ever played the battle tracks in battle um, mode in this game? Funny you should mention that, Heil. Um uh up until yesterday, I would say no, but um <laughs> in advance of this episode, um friends of the show played it on Nintendo Nintendo Switch online with me. And again, NSO GBA experience, very great. Um, I, even though like our connection, like Wi-Fi bar looked awful the entire time, I didn't experience any notable lag or like sound problems uh-huh. like I have with any other, iter- any other attempt I've made to play NSO with people. Um, I am emphasizing my experience with NSO because uh, my comment on the battle tracks is, yeah, that's mode seven style Mario Kart battle mode. All right. <laughs> There's just not not a lot to say. Um, you do turn into a bomb after you die, like in Mario Kart 64. Yeah. Which uh, you won't get to play with very often, I would think, in most experiences, because if you're only playing a two-player battle, that doesn't really matter. The match just ends. Though, hilariously, the match doesn't end before you turn into a bomb-ob, so you just have the bomb looking into your soul on the losing screen. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't look that visually interesting, because the, the first track just reuses the background from Mario Circuit. The second one uses the background from Bowser Castle 2. Three uses it from Peach Circuit, and four uses the background from Yoshi Desert. Yeah, they're they're unique layouts owing to them being battle arenas, but the the aesthetics are all an asset flip of the traditional tracks in the normal game, which in the context of the 2000s where I wasn't running into people I could play battle mode with, like I'm not too broken up that they didn't do original locations for these because i would have just been irritated that i couldn't see them yeah yeah absolutely which is what happened with diddy kong racing ds when Mm. i couldn't revisit the classic battle mode tracks outside of multiplayer yeah that sucked we'll get to diddy kong racing ds eventually (laughs) we do have a call to play so why don't we go ahead and play that and we'll, we'll wrap things up with our final thoughts on mario kart super circuit hey guys it's Cotbox. i wanted to call for the mario kart super circuit episode i'm really glad you guys are covering this game because i feel like it doesn't get as much attention as it deserves i mean being the first portable handheld mario kart was a pretty big deal but it's kind of been overshadowed by it's uh both its predecessors and its successors um i have a special soft spot for it 
because it was the last Mario Kart to feature the alternative voice cast for a lot of characters, like um, Luigi was voiced by Julian Bartikoff instead of Charles Martinet, Wario was voiced by Thomas Spindler. Uh, this is all holdover from the Japanese version of Mario Kart 64, but I like its little place in history. I think the game gets overlooked a lot because it doesn't really bring too much to the table outside of just the portability novelty, but again, that's been kind of thrown out the window. And I feel like it just, by circumstance, ends up in the ranking of the quote-unquote worst Mario Kart, which doesn't mean it's a bad game, and, you know, it's still a good title, but I feel like every other Mario Kart tends to supersede it in one way or another. But I'm happy to hear you guys talk about it. I'm uh, hoping it'll be a bit of a takeaway of people wanting to go back and give it a try, especially with it being on Switch Online now. But I just wanted to give a shout-out to a little game that deserves a little bit more love and to that alternate voice cast that we lost back in the 90s. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you for the call, Cotbox. And yeah, as we talked about, this was kind of the end of an era or, or the bridge into the new era when it came to both Mario Kart and the presentation of, of these Mario games and even Donkey Kong, you know, the last time he's pre-rendered, the last time in a Mario Kart game he's got the carburetor voice. And, and yeah, we, we got a little taste of that alternate cast, which we didn't often get here in the West. Yeah. I guess, I just guess I just uh guess for completion's sake I should mention Peach was done by Asako Kozuki and uh Toad was Tomoko Maruno. Um both of them sound they're like weird. They're not as stand out in Wario as with Wario's case and Luigi's case where the the pitch is so notably different that it's jarring. It's just huh, these are different voice clips. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I, I do appreciate. I don't know the the diversity in in the the voice samples and just like we said, the art style, the ha- having new renders in, in the sort of N sixty four style. Um, just just uh, one last time, it was kind, it's kind of bittersweet to think about because. I'm I'm not really that fond of how they standardized a lot of the Mario characters. Donkey Kong characters I'm kind of okay with, except they got rid of Dixie's knee pads. But yeah, the the way they the the way the Mario cast looks in the GameCube era going forward, it's too smooth for me. Like I like a little bit of imperfection in my character designs. I don't know. What do you? What would you say to uh, Super Circuit being labeled? Uh, quote-unquote, the worst Mario Kart. I feel like, divorced from the historical significance of it, I do think this is a better game than Super Mario Kart. Super Mario Kart has its devotees, its flag bearers, but I've never really been able to get into Super Mario Kart as more than a novelty. It, It was Mario Kart 64 that really broke Mario Kart wide open for me, and I was like... I can really sink my teeth into this. And I know there are people who were hit with Super Mario Kart at a more formative time in their life who who will just stand by that game until the end. And I completely get that. For sure. I mean, I can't have that perspective because situationally, I played Mario Kart 64 first. Yeah. So the 
much like with the Super Nintendo Star Fox, the novelty of this being uncharted territory was completely lost on me. Yeah, I I would say that while Super Mario Kart gets the kudos for sort of sort of laying the groundwork, laying down the template, but Super Mario Kart is just kind of a slog to get through and we're, while this game does have flaws, like I think it's far too slick and I don't like the the ranking system and and stuff as we've discussed what this game does really well, it it surprised me. I was like, oh, actually, maybe I was too harsh. Like, I never disliked this game, but maybe I have been too down on it or not giving it enough credit for what it does well, which it does some things that later Mario Kart games have never done. I mean, it it really does surprise me how how much... It does things in a far more quiet way, I think. It's not as showy <laughs> as as some Mario Kart games. And for that, it doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, I think also just on a... Like, speaking on it technically in terms of, like, oh, ranking all the, the Mario Kart games, um, Super Circuit may not be in the upper echelon of that list, but it's a Game Boy Advance game. If it was in the upper echelon of that kind of list... That would be a lot more damning of every Mario Kart game that's not on the Game Boy Advance than it would be praise of Super Circuit. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. There's yeah. just so much that it, it is impossible for it to achieve. Yeah. It's before we wrap things up too neatly using the materials from Ribbon Road. I do I do want to say uh we talked about it being the end of an era. It's worth pointing out that this is also the last Mario Kart game that Rare got a credit in. Uh, and it got a far more significant large credit in this one compared to Mario Kart 64. So uh, at, the, at the end of Mario Kart 64, under special thanks, in a far more smaller font than everybody above it, uh, it says Donkey Kong 3D model provided courtesy of Rare UK. And we, we've debated about like what that means, whether they're just crediting Rare for coming up with this Donkey Kong design or Rare actually provided the 3D model. We've still never gotten a clear answer on that. And it was ambiguous because this Donkey Kong model doesn't look exactly like the other ones in their own games. Yeah, but but nobody from Rare, especially in this very chatty era where where people who were at Rare during that era, you know, spill the beans on all sorts of stuff. Nobody's ever said, oh yeah, I did the Donkey Kong model for Mario Kart 64. You think that would be something people would, you know, want want to talk about, but we we've just never heard anything, which is weird. But yeah, anyway, uh Rare gets a credit right underneath Intelligent Systems. They share the screen on on uh, at the end of the credits for this <laughs> game. It says, game developed by Intelligent Systems. And you've got Intelligent Systems in the Mario font. Uh, and, and then right underneath that, it says, Donkey Kong 3D model provided courtesy of Rare UK. And, and the font is the same size as game developed by, like... It almost looks like Rare was a co-developer on this. 
It's so prominent. It honestly, it, it reminds me of a similar GBA credit that had like ridiculous prominence, which was um, in Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga for the Game Boy Advance, the original game. They had a very small cameo from Gino from Super Mario RPG. Uh-huh. And the final screen of the credits is your standard, like, you know, all rights, including the copyright of game scenario, music, and program reserved by Nintendo. Taking up about half the screen is, regardless of the above mentioned, the copyright of character Gino reserved by Square Enix Co. Limited. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of the Diddy Kong Racing DS fine print where you know they 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 don't really untangle the character rights for people but <laughs> you know like you figure it out DK fine yeah uh, yeah <laughs> uh so anyway yeah that that's kind of cool to see a rare get such a large and loud shout out in a Mario Kart game and I feel like intelligent systems and rare share a lot of similar philosophy towards game design so that's kind of sweet to see them paired like that yeah, it also feels like this is another, this is like the credits of Star Fox Adventures, where it feels like another, like, bookend toward the end of this chapter of Rare and Nintendo's relationship. Yeah, I only you don't have the very uh, porny David Wise saxophone. So, yeah, you know, I, I held Super Circuit in high esteem um, for many years into the buyout era. You know, like, like I said, I, I've had ups and downs with this game. I I was really hyped about the idea of this game and I was excited when it was announced and then E3 2001 just torpedoed my enthusiasm because I had far more sexier alternatives that really dialed into the center of my brain. Uh but you know, I still enjoyed the game when it came out. And then when Double Dash, DS and Wii took Mario Kart in a direction that I wasn't overly fond of specifically the item imbalance uh i really held this game up as mario kart done right it, it, it didn't feel too broken to me uh i i like to revisit it far more often than i liked to those three mario kart games but then you know mario kart started to work its way back in, into my esteem with mario kart 7 which was co-developed by retro and then Mario Kart 8, of course, which I loved, aside from the character selection. And then uh, Mario Kart Tour came out. And when I realized that it was a fun little mobile game, when you realize it's not supposed to play like a traditional Mario Kart game. Uh, then Mario Kart Super Circuit, coming back to that after all of those titles, I was like, wow, this feels so antiquated. I don't know if I really like this anymore. I don't know if it holds up. Uh, but talking through this with you, Cameron, I realized, you know, I love Mario Kart Super Circuit for what it is. Uh, yeah, I can't really revisit it without a great deal of frustration, but I respect the hell out of what it accomplished, especially early gen GBA. It's astounding to me that it is able to do what it does do, and it does it so well. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm, glad Nintendo Switch Online exists so I can just it is one of the more easy to revisit Mario Kart titles now. Yeah that that is true and you know having all of these 
tracks reimagined in tour and, and the booster course pass now and you know i i would recommend anybody who has a switch and nintendo switch online to give this a shot just maybe just maybe play it in handheld mode because the um pixel resolution of the far background might throw you off when it's not being uh squished for your eyes to like blend together yeah this was supposed to be played at your fingertips and not on your modern high def TV. So keep that in mind. As you as you contort your limbs around the one lamp in the room. Well, Cameron, that was a pretty good attempt at an episode. I mean, we hit all the points we wanted to hit. We we finished successfully, but we both stuttered a few times. We both incorrectly called it Super Mario Kart, Freudian slip. And we were, at the end, only awarded one star out of a possible three stars when it comes to podcasts. See, you you should have had Josh on this episode. You get an extra 40 points for having him as your co-host. I don't give you anything. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, So I'm sorry to say, Cameron, we're going to have to attempt the episode again. Hello and welcome to the conversation. I'm hi. This has been a File 2 production. Terrico.